Good morning. As always, it is an honor and privilege to preach the word this morning. Let me open up in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we come humbly before you with expectation to hear your word. So we ask, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to receive. And Father, I ask that you will speak clearly through me, trusting that your word is true. And so we gather today with expectation to hear from you this morning through the power of your word. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. So we've been in Sermon on the Mount. We've been in it for the last almost several months now. But it's been a joy to look at the greatest sermon ever recorded by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We started with the Beatitudes, and then we walked through how Christ fulfills all law, and in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, has been a pivot verse for us as we continue going and just to remind ourselves, Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. This has been a pivotal verse for us as Jesus will continue to demonstrate what it means for our righteousness to surpass those of the Pharisees. And so then we start looking at kingdom ethics. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not divorce. Tell truth. Go the second mile. Love your enemies. Then from there we looked at the disciplines of the kingdom. How to give. How to pray. How to fast. We looked at God and possessions, the cure for anxiety. Do not judge. I'm sorry, uh, before we get there, then we looked at last week with do not judge on how kingdom relation, how are we to relate to one another. Do not judge. And then this week, especially we'll be ending with verse 12, the golden rule, therefore, Whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is something that I was taught even in grade school, in a public grade school. This is something that both non-Christians and Christians will proclaim. And so as we've been looking and walking through the Sermon on the Mount, we've had this idea of kingdom come. This, What does the kingdom of heaven look like? The kingdom of God look like? And We're concluding the Sermon on the Mount in the next few weeks. But last week and this week, we're going to look at relationship. How are we to relate to one another? So last week, Stuart preached on do not judge. This is a negative statement, a negative command. Do not judge. Why? So when we judge, we usually judge unmercifully. We judge to pride ourselves, to boast ourselves. And as we will see today, the thrust of our passage today, the main point that Jesus is calling us to do is start loving. 
And so if we are judging one another, therefore we cannot love one another. And so our passage today will build on this idea of start loving. So we must put away judgment thoughts. We must stop judging one another so that we can start loving. So with that, let's walk through our passage this morning, making observation and application along the way. We're going to start in verse 7 through 8, God's promises so that we can start loving. Jump with me in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. I counted six promises within these two verses. These two verses hold great promise for us, for those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. Look at these six promises. First, ask, what's the promise? It will be given to you. Second promise, seek. What's the promise? You'll find it. Knock. What's the promise? The door will be open. For everyone who receives or asks, what's the promise again? Receives. Uh, the one who seeks, what's the promise? Will find. To the one who knocks, what's the promise? The door will be open. Six promises within these first two verses. This gives us great hope that when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, we trust that God can fulfill His promises. Jesus, as we see, repeats this three times. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. He repeats it twice. So it's not just something He just said in passing, but He's emphasizing the promises we have in God. And we know that God, our Father, is a generous God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. His wealth is beyond our understanding. There is no limit to what He can do. And so He can make these promises that when we ask, He will give. When we seek, we will find. When we knock, the door will be open. Now these verbs... Here, ask, seek, knock. Jesus isn't saying just ask once or just search or seek for a few minutes or just maybe knock and ring the doorbell. This is an ongoing action. He's saying ask and then ask again and then keep asking. Seek, seek again, keep seeking. Knock, knock again, keep knocking. This isn't something passive that we do but it's an active verb, something we continually do. And I can imagine when Paul wrote, pray without ceasing, ceasing, he has this in mind, that we are to continually come before our merciful, loving Father who would willingly give what we need. And as we will see and as we will unpack and unpack this idea of we're called to start loving, we will see that we can never do this on our own merit or in our own strength, but we will be constantly depending 
upon our Father. So then what kind of things are we to ask for? What kind of things are we to search for? What kind of things are we to knock for? Well, I think within this context, it's clear that Jesus isn't just giving us a blank check to ask for whatever we want. Coming out the heels of do not judge, I think one of the things that he wants us to come to him for is wisdom. As we already read this verse earlier in the service, James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. So what may we need wisdom for? Well, if we back up into this idea of do not judge, maybe it's asking for clarity about the log that's in our eye. Maybe it's asking for help to remove this log that is in our eye that Jesus talked about last week. Maybe it's asking for wisdom and people come around you in love to help you remove this log from your eye. Maybe once that log is removed, maybe it's asking for wisdom of how we can start loving one another and helping them remove the speck from their life, not from a judgmental standpoint, but through love. You see, we encounter situations every day that Scripture may not directly address whether that's at work, whether that's in our home, whether that's even here as a body of Christ. But what Jesus is saying, we can ask, we can seek, we can knock and seek wisdom and trust that God, who is all-knowing, full of wisdom, will give us the wisdom we need. So may we be a congregation that continually seeks, continually asks, continually knocks, knowing and trusting the promises of God. So who are these promises for? In verse 8, for everyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus is talking to his disciples, we see this all the way back in the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He's primarily talking to and teaching his disciples. Yes, there are crowds around him listening. There are even amongst those crowds Pharisees and scribes and other probably prominent people listening to Jesus, but he's primarily talking to his disciples. And so in that case, even in this passage, These promises are for those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. Those who have believed in Jesus Christ and are children of God. But also, if we expand in our understanding of Scripture, we see in 1 John 3, verse 22, he writes, "Whatever, Whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments, And do the things that are pleasing and in sight. And so when we ask, we must be living in obedience to the Father. Third, the one who can claim these promises do do so with right motives. For James says, you ask and do not receive 
because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. When we seek God for selfish requests, He is not obligated to grant us that request. But we were to seek Him so that we can start loving. And this is all going to connect down to verse 12 in just a little bit. Finally, as we ask Him, as we seek Him, as we knock, we must fully submit ourselves to His will. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so we must acknowledge that God is our Lord, our King. And so we don't ask for things that will please us or advance us, but so that we can further the mission, so that we can continue to love. So we have the promise of God so that we can start loving. Verses 9 through 11 is the pattern of God so that we can start loving. So we have the promises of God so that we can start loving, the pattern of God so that we can start loving. Jump with me to verse 9 through 11. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? we got two rhetorical questions. The obvious answer, no father would do such a thing. The first, if your son asks for a piece of bread, he's probably hungry. He's not looking for a pet rock. The second, if he's, again, asking for a fish, he's probably hungry. He's not looking for a pet snake that can harm him. But if we jump into first century with a maybe a little better understanding of Old Testament, we see that Leviticus 11.12 talks about how snakes are unclean animals. And what Jesus is communicating, getting at, is no father would cook up the meat of a snake and offer it to his son, knowing that it's unclean, defiling his son, and having the son disobey the word of God. And so a father knows not just the physical needs of his son, so he wouldn't just give a stone in replace of a bread, but he also knows the spiritual needs as well. And so a loving father will take care of his son's both physical needs and spiritual needs. Verse 11, if, the, if you then, who are evil, this is one of the significant verses on the human nature that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There, we, because of the fall, because of sin, we, do, we are sinful, depraved humanity. He's not just talking about fathers here, but all of humanity. 
And so what God is going to call us, what Jesus is calling us to, to start loving, we cannot do on our own because on our own, our nature on this side of the fall and before we enter into eternity is one of evilness. It's only by the common grace of God that we do give good gifts to our sons and our daughters. And this runs contrary to what the world says. We hear it all the time that we are good. Jesus says, no, we are evil. And when we understand our depraved state, then we can come back to verse 7 and see how regularly we must continue to ask, how regularly we must continue to seek, how regularly we must continue to knock so that we can start loving. I'm thankful while these words are harsh, I'm thankful that Jesus doesn't end right there, but he keeps on going in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? One of the selfless relationships that we as humans can experience is one of a parent-child. I thought I was pretty selfless until I had children. Realized they take up a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money. But as my wife and I, we've had kids, it's a joy to sacrifice for them, to love on them. But yet I realize that my energy has a limit. My time has a limit. My money is not endless. But we have a gracious, loving, merciful God whose energy will never be depleted. Whose time is endless. Whose money and wealth has no end. And so He can always provide what we need so that we can start loving. I love these promises that we can come before our God. I love that He is selflessly giving to us the things that we need both physically and spiritually so that we can continue to love. All of this, from last week to this week, all comes to this one verse, the climax of everything in verse 12. The purpose, God's purpose, so that we can continue, or so that we can start loving. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law of the prophets. This is the Mount Everest of ethics. One commentator said it was the closest approach to absolute love to which a human nature was capable. J.C. Ryle writes this, The truth settles a hundred different points. It prevents the necessity of lying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. 
I've, I remember being taught this in a public grade school. It's quoted both by Christians and non-Christians. It's the climax of everything that we've been looking at. Whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. And this statement is revolutionary. Jesus, as we looked with do not judge, is in a negative form. This is in a positive form. All throughout religion, all throughout literature, all throughout philosophy has a version of this. And let me just give some examples. There's a Jewish rabbi, Hillel, says this, What is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. The book of Tibet in the Apocrypha teaches, What thou thyself hatest, to no man do. A Jewish scholar in Alexandria who translated the Septuagint, advise in a certain piece of correspondence, as you wish, says this, as you wish that no evil befall you, but to be a partaker of all good things, so you should act on the same principle toward your subjects and offenders. Confucius taught this, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Ancient Greek kings named Nicolaus writes this, do not do to others the things which make you angry when you experience them at the hands of other people. The great philosopher Epictetus said this, What you avoid suffering yourself, do not afflict on others. Stoics promote the principle of what you do not want to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. In every one of these cases, it's always in the negative instead of the positive. And this principle is so important, a part of our human right and how we relate to one another, yet it falls short, very short of God's perfect standard. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and instead of saying in the negative, he says it in the positive, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophet. Let's take a deeper look. If we say in the negative, our motivation isn't selfless love. Our motivation then is fear. We fear, we do these things, we treat others this way so that no harm will be done for us. The motivation is fear, and if we take that one step further, it's not just fear, but it's actually self-interest. To protect oneself. But with Jesus, in turning into the positive, we can now selflessly love one another. It doesn't have to be rooted in fear or self-ambition but knowing that God Himself gave up His one and only Son to die for us so that we will not perish but have eternal life. He has demonstrated the selfless love to us so that we can show selfless love to the world. So knowing the promises of God and the patterns of God, we can start loving without fear being our motivation. We don't have to fear when we love. Our identity isn't someone reciprocating the love back to us. We don't have to fear when we love that someone will harm us. We don't have to fear that 
we're going to give too much of ourselves and not have enough for what we need. We don't have to fear because we trust in the promises and patterns of God, our Father. Knowing the patterns, the promises of God and His patterns, we can start loving not out of selfish ambition. We don't have to love others to advance ourselves in the workplace or get that job promotion or be part of the cool crowd or the in crowd or further our status in life, but we love because we know that God has loved us and He will meet all of our needs. Knowing the promises of God and His patterns, we can start loving knowing that all of our needs will be met, both physical and spiritual needs. We can give ourselves our time, our money, our energy to start loving, knowing that God will give us what we need. And so even when we feel like money is tight, but yet we feel the prompting of the Spirit that we should give to someone else in need, we can trust that God will give what we need. It allows us to invite our neighbors into our home, even though that we don't know what they will do. They might steal. They might take advantage of us. But we can trust that God will provide what we need, both physically and spiritually. So we don't have to be in fear when we know the promises of God and the patterns of God. Knowing the promises of God and His patterns, we can start loving in, with a selfless way. We know that we have been loved by God who freely gives us His wonderful gifts. But more than that, He has given His one and only Son who took on the wrath of God that was meant for us so that we don't have to stand before Him but we have the righteousness of Christ. What a great gift. And so one day we long for eternity, long to be in this kingdom forever and ever, worshiping our God, our gracious, loving, merciful, generous God who gives us good gifts. And so we can do the same. So brothers and sisters, may we know the promises of God May we know the patterns of God. And so therefore, may we, whatever we want others to do for us, may we also do for them. May we be a congregation that continues to ask, continues to seek, continues to knock, trusting in our good, gracious God. Jesus says this to His disciples, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. My prayer is that the world will know that we are disciples of Christ because we love one another. And we love because we know the promises of of God found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. So may we continue to seek, continue to ask, continue to knock with confidence that He will answer and give 
what we need so that we can continue and start loving. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You. Thank You that You give freely to those who ask, to those who seek, to those who knock. And Father, I know that there are many in this room who need Your help physically and spiritually. And so I ask on their behalf that you listen to them, you grant their requests because you are a loving God. I pray for the Bulldog family as at the funeral yesterday, that you bring peace to them, comfort to them. I pray for the pastoral transition as we seek to find the next pastor to lead this congregation. I pray that he will be a man after your own heart, that we won't judge or look at the outward appearance, but we will seek you, ask you for wisdom. Father, I thank you for the work that you did through VBS, how many children heard your gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that that word will continue to go forth and impact generations to come. Father, I thank you that we can gather here this morning to worship you as a body of Christ. And I ask, I seek, I knock that we would start loving one another so that the world will know that we are disciples of Christ. And so give us opportunity to love Give us opportunity to proclaim and preach your gospel to this world so that many will come to know you. And one day we will worship you forever and ever in glory. Praise the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.